Hey guys, Pastor Jürgen here. We're so excited you're tuning into one of our amazing messages. What you're about to hear is going to be fresh, it's going to be real, and it's going to be powerful. It's going to help you to grow stronger in your walk with God. It's going to put faith on the inside of you. It's going to cause you to be able to walk in greater dimensions of blessing and enlargement so that you can be a blessing to other people. Well, lean in, enjoy the Word. God bless you. Well, hey, we are in a series called, And There Was Great Joy in That City. And that comes from the book of Acts chapter 8. I'd actually love if you would come with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. And we'll be, uh, we'll be reading out of that. And if you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It'll be on the screen behind us. So a little bit before Acts chapter 8, Jesus, uh, some of the last words that he uttered on earth before he ascended, gives kind of this roadmap of the early church. And he says in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, He says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then the roadmap is, and you will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And it turns out that's exactly how it happened, almost like Jesus kind of knows what he's talking about. Crazy. So the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit descends on the early church, just a couple hundred people in an upper room, and Peter stands up filled with the Holy Spirit and gives the very first sermon in the history of the early church. And 3,000 people are converted. The church went from like 100 to 3,100 in just one sermon. That's a good altar call. Way to go, Peter. It's good preaching. And that was in Jerusalem. So the church started in Jerusalem. Then we read in Acts chapter 4 and 5, the Bible says that people from the area surrounding Jerusalem began to bring people to the disciples and hear the message that they were preaching and having all these miracles happen. That would be the the state of Judea. So it started in Jerusalem, then spread to Judea. And then in Acts chapter 7, a man named Stephen, the very, very first uh, Christian martyr, was stoned. A different kind of stoned. He, he, anyway, never mind. Um... He was stoned to death, and the church was persecuted and scattered. And then Acts chapter 8, Philip is the very first to take the message of Jesus to Samaria. And here we are in San Diego, California. Praise God. Hey, who's thankful for America's finest city, San Diego? Praise God we're not having a parking lot service in Phoenix. If you're from Phoenix, no offense. Uh, this city's better, but uh, I'm sure Phoenix has got its redeeming qualities too. But praise God for San Diego. Here we are in San Diego. This is Awakened Church San Diego. This isn't Awakened Church Samaria. It's not Awakened Church Jerusalem, Judea. This is Awakened Church in San Diego. The message really has gone to the four corners of the globe exactly like Jesus said it would. And we're going to read Acts chapter 8 here in one second. But I also, there's a, a, a paper that I read in the American Political Science Review. came out, um, I think it was back in like 2012, by a sociologist named Dr. Uh, Roger Woodbury. And he, uh, it was the culmination of decades of research. And what he looked at was the effects of Christian missions on developing third world countries. And so what he looked at over decades and decades, all kinds of data points and and all kinds of of studying, and he basically split third world developing nations into two groups, nations where historically 
they had a very high concentration of Christian missions. And then the other group was nations that historically had not had a high concentration of Christian missions. And what he found was staggering. He found that this group, the group that historically had the message of Jesus preached, were today far healthier nations than the other group. And in ways that would blow your mind. It wasn't like they just had big churches. They had lower infant, infant mortality rate, higher life expectancy, higher levels of educational attainment, especially among uh, women. They had healthier economies. Like in every way, these nations were healthier nations. Why is that? Because everywhere the message of Jesus Christ goes, that place is better off. So we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 8, it's verses 4 through 8. And a beautiful Pastor Natalie preached on this on Wednesday um, and, uh, and did an amazing job. You got a podcast of that, that uh, message. But I want to dig into it a little bit. Acts chapter 8, verses 4 through 8 it says, Therefore, those who were scattered, now they're scattered because, uh, again, this man, um, Stephen, was just uh, martyred, was stoned to death. And so the church is scattered because of all this persecution that's coming up. It says, Therefore, those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached. Christ to them, and the multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Verse 7, for unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, and there was great joy in that city. Acts chapter 8, verse 8. And so in this passage, we see the formula. We see the formula for great joy in a city, and it's hearing and seeing. It says in verse 6 that hearing and seeing the miracles which he did, many came and believed the word of the Lord. Hearing and seeing. We will always be a church that preaches the truth and that believes in the power of God. It's truth and power. Truth and power. That's the formula for a city filled with joy. So what does it mean to, to speak the truth? You know, it's, I can't, it's just so crazy to me. Like, even the word truth, which, I mean, should be pretty easy to understand, has just become so convoluted and confusing. People say things like, I'm just out here living my truth. Oh, that, that's just you just, hey, just, hey, speak your truth, girl. Just, what is your truth? My, that doesn't make any sense. Logi- it's logically incoherent. It makes no sense. There is no your truth, my truth. There is the truth. That's it. There is no in between. There's the truth. Not my truth, not your truth. The truth. There was a, a, a flight that left um, Miami, Florida in the middle of the night. I think it, it departed at 1230. This was decades ago on its way to um, Santiago, Chile. And so took off and was headed over the Gulf of Mexico. And obviously late at night, pitch black, and then over the water. So no visual references whatsoever, completely pitch black. And the instruments on the airplane actually malfunctioned. The altimeter, which is the device that tells the pilots the altitude of the plane, had malfunctioned. And so the altimeter was saying that they were thousands of feet above the surface of the ocean. The reality is the plane was actually flying only a few feet above the ocean. Literally, this jumbo jet was like this high off of the water, and they had no idea. And it doesn't matter what the pilots believed. And they were, listen, they were experienced pilots. I think the, the, the actual pilot, not the co-pilot, the pilot had like 22,000 logged hours in aircraft. He was incredibly experienced. He wasn't negligent. It wasn't, but he believed what the altimeter said. 
And unfortunately, it doesn't matter what you choose to believe if what you are choosing to believe is not the truth. And so sadly, that airplane went to turn and the, the wing actually dipped in the ocean and the, the plane crashed. And it was, a, it was a big tragedy. Because if you don't operate in alignment with what is actually true, it can be incredibly destructive in your life. And it doesn't matter what you choose or choose not to believe. What matters is what is true. And are you aligning yourself with that truth? Awaken Church will always be a place that speaks the truth of God as we find it in the written word of God. Always. We won't apologize for it. We'll never dilute it. We're not going to try to package it up in, in, in way like that's not what we're going to do. We're going to preach the truth. And Jesus gives this beautiful model when he meets this woman at a well, and she's and actually was in Samaria. She was a, a Samarian woman. Um, meets this woman at this well, and um, and you know they're having this conversation, and and then he Jesus being Jesus says, uh, hey, uh, awesome, great to meet you. Why don't you um, go grab your husband for me? And she says, well, I I don't I don't have a husband. And he says, rightly you have said I don't have a husband. You've had five husbands. Now, why did Jesus have to do that? That's kind of rude. Okay, he's going to talk to her about living water, and that's, we don't need to bring that up. Come on. Why would you? But it's because Jesus speaks the truth. And he saw in this woman, you are living in a way that is leading to your destruction, and I love you too much to let that happen. Now, Jesus didn't rub her nose in it and bring it up over and over and over again and make her feel terrible. He brought it up, addressed it, and said, hey, you're not living in a way that's conducive to human flourishing. Let's get that fixed. And then he moved on and talked about how he is the living water, and whoever drinks of these waters will never thirst again. Here at Awaken Church, you can come however you are. Anybody. But you just can't stay that way. That's how it goes here. You can come however, with whatever dysfunctions, with whatever brokenness, with whatever trauma, with whatever, whatever. You're welcomed here. But we also will not let you stay that way. We have a responsibility to preach the truth to people. To say, in love, you are living in a way that is not going to produce God's best in your life. And when I showed up at this church, I was literally the single most cynical, disgruntled person on the face of the planet. My wife always amends that point for some reason. And, you know, like here at our church, you know, people shout down the preacher, and it's just there's a lot of wows and amens and, oh, so good, and clapping. And I was like the opposite. I was like, I was an actual, like, heckler in church. Like, I would sit in the back with my arms crossed like, nope, don't believe that. That's dumb. That was me. I was that disgruntled, okay? And listen, the church let me in. It wasn't like they threw me out. But they also said, hey, you're really not very fun to be around. You should... Let us help you with that. I was able to come as I was, but this church didn't let me stay that way. And I remember beautiful Pastor Emma Davies, Emma and Drew Davies, that were the campus pastors of this church before we took over. Actually, Pastor Stacy Capaldi is up at Hope Village Church right now preaching at beautiful Drew and Emma's church. I remember Pastor Emma. I was at, standing at this sliding glass door at Pastor Michael Hundley's house years ago, 10 years ago, and just spewing everything that was wrong with everything and everybody and just 
literally, I made the Grinch look like Mr. Rogers, okay? And, uh, and, and you know, Pastor Emma just, hmm, wow, oh, that's nice, yeah. And then, like, okay, are you finished? Great, okay. Well, hey, you should join a connect group. You should go to DNA, right? At this church, you're allowed to come as you are, but we have a responsibility to not let you stay that way. The Bible says that the way of the righteous is upward, Every single one of us at this church are going to be on an upward trajectory, and that comes from preaching the truth, telling you the truth. Truth is a component of joy in the city, but it's not enough. It's not enough. In Samaria, Philip didn't just bring the truth. He brought the power of God. It was actually the miraculous that people saw, not just his great teaching, his sound doctrine, but the power of God that grew the church in Samaria. The formula for joy in the city is truth and power. We will always be a church that believes and prays and declares the miraculous in this house. And we see it, listen, if you're having, you feel like God's not alive and not doing things, just I, we can fix that really quickly. Just come to our, one of our prayer meetings. On Tuesday morning, all the men meet at 5.30. Ladies, you guys meet at 7 a.m. And we start every single one of those meetings with what we call God Stories. And we just open up the floor and let people share. I'm not kidding. Like this last Tuesday, I had to, like, I had to cut it off. I had to be like, hey, guys, just put your hands down. We're, we're running out of time. Save your God story for next week. It's people just saying, hey, here's what God's done in my life. Here's the miraculous that I've seen this last week. Here, here's how God, you know, healed my body. Here's how God, you know, fixed my marriage. Here, just miracle after miracle after miracle. I remember um, during 2020, uh, this, this lady had, had found our church, and it was kind of crazy back then. You know, we couldn't put a bunch of stuff up on Facebook. And so it was like, how did you actually find out about our church? Because we're doing church underground right now, and you just showed up, and you're new. That's awesome. How'd you find out? And she said, I heard that miracles happen here. And may we always have a reputation in our city that miracles happen here. The miraculous is the proof that God is who he says he is. If Jesus would have just had great teaching, great doctrine, great analogies, great storyteller, always teaching in parable, but if that was it, it wouldn't be enough. Jesus brought the miraculous. Oh, hello. Taco truck's here. Praise God. Come on. Look at that. Miraculous every day. Taco vaquero, man. I'm getting hungry. Come on. Yeah, I got, yeah all right. Bow our heads. Close our eyes. We're gonna, just kidding. What was I saying? Miracles. Miracles are the proof. Jesus performed the miraculous so that people would know that he was legitimate. And every miracle reveals some element of the character and nature of God, okay? Listen, this is borderline blasphemous, but just hang with me for a second. Walking on water, very cool. Okay, I can't do it. You guys can't do it. Awesome. But I'm, you know, I'm like, if I had at my fingertips unlimited power, I would have done cooler stuff than just walk on water. I would have been like, Writing Jesus in the sky with lightning bolts. You guys doubt me? Watch this. J-E-S-U-S. I would have done some cool stuff. And, you know, walking on water, you know, there's bugs that can walk on water. Like, there really are. They're so lightweight that, you know, they they don't break the surface tension of the hydrogen bonds, and the bugs can literally walk on water. There's lizards. They run really fast, and they can walk on water. So why? Why did Jesus walk on water? Because it revealed 
a little snippet of who he is. It was him showing his disciples, I am Lord over creation. Why did Jesus turn water into wine at a wedding? That one I really wish I could do. That one would be sweet. That would make you very popular. Why did Jesus turn water into wine at a wedding? Showing that he's the God of celebration, of life, of fun, that he came to bring not condemnation, but fullness and abundant life. Why does God heal the sick, heal people that are in pain? It's him showing you, I am a healer. Why do we hear about financial miracles and, and you know, people going from, from strength to strength in their finances? It's God revealing that he is a provider. Every miracle that is performed reveals a little snippet of the character and the nature of God. Miracles have a purpose. I'd love it if, go ahead and get Zach up here on the keys. The formula for joy in our city is being unashamed to preach the truth of God, but also seeing the miraculous every single week, and the result will be Acts chapter 8, verse 8, and there was great joy in that city. What are they going to say about San Diego 2,000 years from now, when all of us are long gone? Will, they, will there be stories about this little pocket of Southern California where something crazy happened back then. It was like the early 2000s. You know, it's like the year 4,150. Teslas are the only cars on the road. It's all there is at that point flying around. Will they say, you know, 2,000 years ago in this little pocket of Southern California, there was great joy in that city. Will they say that about San Diego? I want a city that has a divorce rate that is lower than any other city in the United States. I want the marriages of the East Lake campus of Awaken Church to preach to our community. I want rates of depression and anxiety among our high schoolers and junior hires to be lower in San Diego than any other city in America. Will they say about San Diego, and there was great joy in that city. I'd love you to go ahead and hop to your feet as we come to a close and eat some tacos el vaquero here in just a second. That's what they, how, how amazing is it that that's what they said about Samaria, that 2,000 years ago, this message brought great joy to that city. Christianity is an unstoppable force. For decades and generations, they've been saying, you know, oh, well, as we get more technologically advanced, as as science, you know, breaks more and more ground, there's going to be less and less need for religion, and we're going to see just a great falling off of spirituality, and the exact opposite has been true. There is the gas pedal on Christianity is floored. And it happened exactly the way Jesus said it would. It started in Jerusalem, then to Judea, then to Judea, then Samaria, and now the ends of the earth. You know what's crazy? If you look at our faith compared to every other worldview, religion, like Buddhism, for example, the geographic center of Buddhism is still 
Southeast Asia. That's where there's more Buddhists than anywhere else in the world, and that's where it started. The geographic center of Buddhism is still centered on where that religion started. Same thing with, um, like, the highest concentration of Muslims in the world is the Middle East, because that's where that religion started. And it is still the geographic center of that faith. But Christianity is so different. The geographic center of Christianity has moved all over the world in the past 2,000 years. It started in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the center of the Christian faith. And then Judea, then Samaria, and then Rome actually became the geographic center where there was more Christians in Rome and in Italy than anywhere else in the world. Then it became Western Europe when the Church of England was really flourishing and established. And Western Europe really became the geographic center where there was more Christians in Western Europe than anywhere else on the planet. Then it was America came to the West. We had the Great Awakening, the Second Great Awakening. And America actually became the geographic center of Christianity. More Christians anywhere else in the world, uh, in America than anywhere else in the world. And now Africa actually has more Christians than any other continent on the planet. There's more Presbyterians in the country of Ghana than anywhere else in the world. And sociologists believe that in the next 50 or so years, China is actually going to take over as the geographic center of Christianity. There will be more Christians in China than anywhere else in the world. Why is that? Why has that happened with Christianity and not every other world religion? Because it works. Because everywhere the message of Jesus goes, those nations, those communities, those families, those individuals, their lives are turned upside down for the best. They see healing coming into their families. They see restoration coming into their families. They they experience the power of a resurrected, living, most high God. That's why. That's why it's not slowing down. That's why it will never slow down. Will they say about San Diego that there was great joy in that city? I'd love it if you just bow our heads and close our eyes as we come to a close. And my question for you as we close is, is there great joy in you? Is there great joy in you? As I kind of alluded to when when Katie and I came here 10 years ago, I didn't go to seminary, didn't go to professional pastor school. We were just people looking for a church. Well, it was a person looking for a church. It was Katie. I was definitely not looking for a church. I was actually trying very hard to not go to church. But I am the product of a praying spouse. And my wife went to Connect Group and Sunday service alone for many, many weeks, praying for me. And then I came. And and over the past 10 years, my life has been put back together, bit by bit, brick by brick. And if you would have asked me 10 years ago, hey, what's the If you could have anything in the world, anything in the world, just the biggest dream for your life, what would it be? Ten years ago, I wouldn't, I would have, you know, probably said something about being super wealthy and having a big house or something like that. I I wouldn't even have known that the life I get to live now was even a thing to have asked for. To be a part of the telling of the greatest story ever told at this exact moment in history is such a gift. Is there great joy in you? With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you've never actually surrendered your life to Jesus, never actually made him Lord and Savior, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. It's really easy. 
You don't have to say a bunch of Hail Marys or Our Fathers. Or, the Bible says in John 3:16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son and whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. That's it. Whoever believes. It's not believes and. It's not believes and does more good things than bad things. Believes and lives a better life than your neighbor. Believes and leads a connector. Believes and. That's it. it. It's just believe. Whoever believes in him will not perish and have everlasting life. Maybe you've never walked with God your whole life, but you know that he's knocking on the door of your heart this afternoon. Maybe you, you know, you grew up in church, once walked with God, but you've fallen away, slipped away, life, life, you know, kicked you down a little bit, but you know that he's calling you back here today. I'm going to walk you through a very, very simple prayer. And it's just a prayer of belief. Romans 10, 9 says that if you believe, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. And that's it. I'm just going to walk you through a very, very simple prayer. So here in a second, I'm going to count to three. And if that's you, I'm going to ask you here in a second to shoot your hand up. If you have never done this before, maybe you did it forever ago, but you know that maybe it's the second time, third time, 50th time, a thousand time, it doesn't matter. You know that God's calling you back to him today. On the count of three, I want you to shoot your hand up. One, two, three. Who needs to make that decision today? See that hand in the back? Awesome. See that hand right there? Who else? Awesome over there. See that hand? Great. See these two up front? Amazing. Who else? Who else needs to make that decision today as we come to a close? See that hand over there? Awesome, awesome. Beautiful. Anybody else? So great. Once I've seen your hand, you go ahead and put it down. Hey, can we give you a round of applause? I think there's about five or six of you that raised your hand. So amazing. Hey, so here's what we're going to do. I am going to pray with you, and I actually want to do it personally. So here in a second, I'm going to ask you to make your way out of your seat, come to the aisle, and actually make your way down here to see me. I'm going to get down off the stage. I'm going to shake your hand. And again, I'm going to walk you, I want to pray with you personally. So if you're sitting next to somebody that raised their hand, can you just offer to walk down with them? If uh, you are sitting next to somebody that you know should have raised their hand, just grab them and pull them down here. They won't mind. Hey, come on. Can we give a big shout to everybody coming down here? Raise their hand. So proud of you. Come on, make your way down here. Make your way down here. Come on. so amazing. I'm so proud of you. Nick, right? Awesome, man. Proud of you, bro. I see you as a, as a generation shifter, that you're actually going to be a, a, a patriarch in your family, that there's going to be great-grandsons and grandsons, and there's going to be a, like a picture of you up on the wall when you're an old man, and they're going to say, that's my grandpa Nick, and he was the man of faith that changed everything in my family. Proud of you, bro. You're amazing. Well, hey, here's what we're going to do. going to walk you through a very, very simple prayer. You're just going to repeat after me. 
And the really great thing about having God as your father is you get a bunch of amazing brothers and sisters too. So everybody behind you is going to shout this prayer out so loud, drown you out so you don't feel like you're doing it alone. So just going to have everybody repeat after me as we pray. Come on, everybody say, Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you today for sending Jesus on a rescue mission to save me. Today I declare that my sins are forgiven, that heaven is my home, God is my Father, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.